Hi, you're listening to the Road to a Billion podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Georgi. Since 2011, I've sold over $700 million worth of products for both clients and my own companies. I've also founded or co-founded eight different businesses that have grossed between seven to nine figures in revenue. Today, I focus a lot of my time on teaching, training, and mentoring the next generation of freelancers and entrepreneurs. And that's why I created The Road to a Billion, a call-in radio show style podcast where I answer people's questions on mindset, business ownership, scaling funnels, copywriting, and more. If you want to submit a question, then check out the show notes to learn how, or visit me at stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe to opt into my email list. And every week, you'll get a link to join the live call-in show. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Hey, you're listening to the Road to a Billion podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Georgia, and I'm glad to have you with me here today. The Road to a Billion is a call-in radio show where you can ask me questions about freelancing, copywriting, entrepreneurship, mindset, scaling funnels, relationships, money, and more. And the reason for the name Road to a Billion podcast is because, first of all, I love double entendres, and this is a good one. On the one hand, by the end of this year, I will have sold close to a billion dollars worth of products, both my own and my clients. But it, of course, didn't start out that way. I started out as a freelancer in 2012, just struggling to get clients and pay my bills. And between 2012 and where I am today, on this road to a billion dollars in sales, I've learned a lot of lessons and gained a ton of valuable experience. And My hope is that I can share some of those lessons and experiences with you guys on this show. And the other reason why this show is called The Road to a Billion is because I love big, hairy, audacious goals. BHAGs is what Jim Collins would call them in his book, From Good to Great. And one of my goals is to have a direct positive impact on the hearts and minds of at least a billion people in the next 20 years. That's a really big goal. It's hard to reach a billion people, uh, but I would love to do it. And that's the double entendre. So it's about the billion dollars in sales and it's about reaching a billion people and having a direct impact. And given all of that, I feel like The Road to a Billion is a very aptly named title. This is our first show. So I'm really excited. I hope you are as well. And we're going to start taking calls in about five minutes from now. And the way that's going to work is that you're going to put your questions into the Q&A section in Zoom here. And then my friend Ed Ray, who has been gracious enough to act as my moderator on this call, is going to be reviewing these questions and feeding them to me. And Ed, I'll go and give you a minute to say hi and kind of introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, for sure. Hey, everyone. My name is Ed Ray. I am super stoked to be here. Grateful to be able to help out Stefan with this. For those of you who don't know me, I am a young copywriter. I'm, I always have, to, always have to put my age in there. I'm 19. <laughs> um, and... I've had the you know, incredible opportunity to work with some of the world's best copywriters like Stefan and Justin Goff and learn from them and be able to work with some of the biggest companies in the direct response space right now. And I specialize in Facebook ad compliance and making shit convert on cool traffic. So I'm really excited to help out today. Awesome. Yeah, it's really... I'm glad you, you stepped up to do this, Ed, and you're seriously a, a boy wonder. <laughs> um, Ed, Ed is a, a brilliant guy, though. He's so smart, uh, so cool. And the fact that where he's at, at at his age is just crazy. I mean, if I, I'm kind of glad I wasn't as dialed in as Ed at the age of 19 because I feel like I don't know if I would have been able to handle all of the success and I might have ended up uh, in like a drug den somewhere or, you know, dead. 
So really glad, um, Ed, you know, you've got maturity and wisdom that's way beyond your years and, and really stoked to have you here with me. So uh, for those of you guys who do submit a question, which again is going to happen in the Q, Q&A portion here um, where you, just, there's, you can see the QA thing on, on Zoom, um, like once, like, uh, once we start doing questions, Ed will kind of, he'll be the one facilitating. So Ed will call your name, give some background on your question to me, then he'll unmute you and you'll have a chance to explain the context and the background of your question in more detail. And we'll talk through it together and I'll pro provide insights or if possible, a resolution to your question. Uh, I say if possible, cause I mean, I want to be real with you guys. It's not like I'm going to have magical answers to everything. And I don't want to be like a fake guru who just gives you these like answers that are bad answers <laughs> or bad advice. Right? So if I don't know an answer, then we'll talk through it and we'll see if we can come up with something that seems like a good idea. But, uh, you know, if not, then that will be what it is too. Um, so we'll get through as many of these as we can in the next hour and 25 minutes and go ahead and start posting your questions in the Q and a section now. And while those questions are coming in, uh, I do want to share a quick story that happened to me yesterday because I think the story contains several valuable lessons around freelancing, copywriting mindset and more. Um, I actually want to make sure I'm talking through my microphone. I am perfect. Yeah. So just a quick story for you guys. I get, this would be like the monologue part of the radio show, I suppose. And again, this is our first one here, but, um, I had something interesting happen, which was that some of you guys know that for my RMBC private Facebook group, which is people who've bought my RMBC course, uh, I put a posting on my public Facebook page saying, Hey, I want somebody to hire me to write a sales letter for them. I charge $50,000, but I'm not going to actually write the letter. Instead, I'm going to take that money and hire nine copywriters from my RMBC course and let them write, uh, you know, each pay them each $5,000 and have nine versions of a sales letter for you or your product. Then I'll kind of pick the best two or three. I will go through them. And for the ones that are the top two or three, I'll copy edit or copy chief them. And then out of that, whichever one we decide is the best, that writer will get a $5,000 bonus. And I was really you know, excited about that. And it went really well. I posted on Facebook, I got great engagement and four different people reached out to me, including two that I've already moved forward with. So one is a skincare brand called Alatora. And I shared a video I did with interviewing their, their founder on YouTube this morning. So you should check that out. And then the other one was native path, which is run by my good friend, Chris Clark. And they stepped up too. But the interesting story is this happened Last week, I posted it last, uh, last Tuesday, and I gave the deadline for submissions to uh, be Thursday at 10 a.m., so last Thursday, a week ago. And then yesterday, I got two submissions for the projects from somebody who had recently, well, actually, I thought that they had recently bought RMBC. So I got one submission for skin and another one for keto, because one's a skincare product, one's a, a keto product. And I responded to the guy, and I said, hey, man, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to do these submissions. It included giving me some headline variants and then giving me the first 150 words of a lead. And you know, I was like, hey man, I appreciate you submitting this stuff, but unfortunately, you know, this already passed, like this project is, is, is closed, but there will be more opportunities in the future. So, you know, sorry about that. And the guy responded back and was like, you know, oh, so you're saying I wasted all my time. Like, you know, you should have like, he basically got very upset. He's like, you know, this is a waste of time. I wasted all this time. I spent all day doing this. And he got kind of like mad at me. And I responded back to him 
And I said like, Hey dude, you know, I understand the frustration, but I think you got to realign your mindset on this. Right. I, I was like, think about all, think about the positives here. It's like one, you practice your copywriting, you practice RMBC, which is my copywriting thing. Um, you know, you th- three, you created new samples. So now when you're talking to other prospective clients, you can say, Oh yeah, I wrote something for Alatura. I wrote something for native path. Uh, here's what it is. So now you have these samples, you can leverage that as part of your portfolio moving forward. And then four, you know, you got on my radar, you sent me this, uh, these, these, these samples, I read them, I've looked at them and you know, so that's awesome. But now we have a bit of a relationship and as future projects come, you know, in an opportunity show up, like now you have that opportunity. So I, I understand the frustration, but I would really realign, shift your mindset. That way you can be, you know, not look at this as a waste of time. And so I sent that to the guy and he responded back again and essentially was like, well, I could have been doing something for a client and this is a waste of time. And you're saying that everybody just, you know, I, you, if you put a date on, on the post, then I wouldn't have made this mistake. And, you know, you're saying that uh, everybody just submitted their, you know, 90 plus people submitted their applications and, you know, like a 24 hour period of time, like, come on. And, and so uh, at that point I was like, uh, Hey man, yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. If you looked at the comments, it was pretty clear. Like all these people right in the comments are like saying like, Oh, I, I mean, I put it in the comments, Hey, here are the people who are selected, you know, sorry if you weren't selected. I gave people feedback, like all this stuff in these comments. So I'm like, if you just read the comments, man, then you would have seen that it was okay. Um, but at that point too, I also just told the guy, uh, I didn't want him in RMBC. So I just refunded him, um, and kicked him out of the program. And it was kind of like, I still feel a little bit like weird doing that, but I just felt like I had to, because I just don't want, I kind of want to be a lesson for the guy. Honestly, I I, I don't know. I don't know if I should have kicked him out or not, but I kind of feel like I want to be a lesson where it's like, if the guy can't shift his mindset, and he's going to sit there and, and get like mad at me. Cause again, I'm not making any money from doing this. I'm, I'm literally just trying to create jobs for people, which I did, right? I created at least 18 jobs paying copywriters between three and $5,000 and we'll create more after that. Uh, so if the guy can't check his mindset and it's like a waste of time and he's mad at me and I was just like, you know, screw it. Um, I'm going to kick him out. So I, I guess the lesson there though, there, there's several, right? It, it's, but the biggest is again, a mindset thing and how you, how you respond, like when things don't go your way or you make a mistake, like I totally get him being frustrated, but at the same time to then kind of get <laughs> to kind of get like uh, mad at the person who's trying to create this opportunity. Um, and then, yeah, to have that person in my RBC group and, and all of that kind of stuff, I just felt like uh, it just wasn't the right fit. So I, I don't know. I think there's a good mindset lesson in there. Bailey said I can be ice cold when I need to be. And that's true. Um, but it was just tough to do, but I did want to share that with you guys. And so, you know, with that being shared, let's go ahead and move into doing, uh, doing calls, doing Q and A's and everything like that. So again, Ed will kind of, uh, pick people. He'll tell me who they are and, you know, kind of the, the gist of the question and then he'll unmute you and then you can kind of give me the full context and we'll talk through it and we'll see how that all goes. So let's go ahead and, and get started here. For sure. So first up, we do have Daniel Sherlock. And Daniel has a very interesting story. Young guy, 22, lived in a garage last year. And 
he wants to know how to go about becoming a self-sufficient copywriter. So Daniel, you're allowed to talk. Feel free to unmute. Uh, hi, uh, can you hear me okay? I can, what's up Daniel? Uh, it's great to be here. Um, how do you want me to, like just want me to launch into the, the, my question or do you want me to like go through what I emailed you yesterday? Yeah, if you don't mind launching into the question and including kind of what you emailed me yesterday so that everyone on the call can kind of get the background and the context, I think that would be a, a great place to start. Okay, so so yeah, so like I've, um, I bought RMBC. I enrolled in uh, Copy Accelerator Lite. Um, and, you know, I've never like, I've never written copy before. Um, you know, luckily I was one of the people who applied and got accepted for the, Alachora uh, skincare letter, uh, which is like a tremendous opportunity. I'm really grateful. Um, but I was just wondering, like, you know, if you were kind of in my shoes, starting from scratch, but with like these incredible resources, how would you like, how would you go about um, like making this your full time gig uh, starting from scratch? For sure. And, and right now, do you, ha I can't remember, do you have a day job? Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm actually working like a freelance gig for this HR company, but it's mostly just like research and getting people's emails so that they can send like email outreach and stuff, but it's all already templated. So um, it's, it's like great experience for me. Um, it's pretty good money um, compared to what I could be earning, you know, like at a supermarket or whatever. So, um, so yeah, like I'm paying my bills uh, just um, so but I have time to spend on this, which I'm really trying to make my full-time gig. Cool. That makes sense. So yeah, I think the, the biggest things are the fundamentals, like continuing to practice, obviously, uh, what you're, you're doing with being an RMBC and exposure in copy accelerator light, uh, exposure to different questions and copy critiques and funnels and everything there. Um, I would really be focused on, and I think your copy is pretty good. Obviously I selected you as one of the people for the Alterra skincare gigs. So, you know, I would, I would leverage that. I mean, even the fact that you were selected out of 80 plus people uh, to write for Alterra is something that I think when you're talking to other potential clients, you can bring up uh, and you now have that nice sample. So I'd be focused on, yeah, getting, just getting more clients and, I wouldn't worry too much about the money. Like the Altura gig for 5,000 is obviously pretty, pretty good payday yeah, for an up and coming. Yeah. I, I don't think I got paid $5,000 to write copy for, I started in 2012 and it probably wasn't until like 24, eh, 20, yeah, I guess 2014 when I was doing this stuff for the guys in Romania. So, um, so yeah, so, but so, you know, I, I don't know if every, every gig is going to pay that well out of the gate, but I do think, um, I would be working on building up my portfolio and gaining experience and, and exposure and just running for as many clients as I can. And I would, you know, do that through some of the, the avenues we've discussed, Justin, uh, who's my partner in copy accelerator. And I have discussed like, I, you know, I like the cold outreach to prospective uh, kind of dream clients. Um, I think that that can definitely work if you send them a couple emails or a new headline and lead kind of what you did when you applied for Alatura. If you find, those prospective clients and you can uh, reach out and say, Hey, I'm a huge fan. Uh, you know, I, I think you, what you're doing is awesome and I'm an up and coming copywriter. 
So, you know, because of that, I decided to just go ahead and write you guys some new headlines that I thought you might want to test. I know you're probably testing lots of stuff. And if any of those things happen to do well, then I'd love to discuss working with you guys and, and, you know, on a more uh, regular basis. So that stuff, um, I'm not, I'm not against leveraging Upwork. Somebody posted in the Justin and Stefan talk copy Facebook group uh, recently about how they, you know, quote unquote, fucked around on Upwork and got like $1,200 or $1,300 and used it to buy my course. And I thought that their breakdown was really good. So if you haven't seen that, I would really recommend uh, checking that out. Cause I, yeah, I started out using, cool. yeah. did you, did you see that one? Um, I, yeah, I did. I, I think I skimmed it. Um, I've just been told so many times to like keep away from Upwork cause it's all like terrible clients. Um, but yeah, I've never actually been on it myself. I would check it out. I mean, I haven't used it in a while. Well, I mean, a long time as a, as a freelancer, I still hire people sometimes. But when I was starting out in 2012, uh, Upwork was Elance at the time. And I would, I actually, you know, made pretty good money there. And I, but I, I was, a lot of what that guy, I, f- I forget who it was. It was, I think either, was it Luke Mills? Maybe I forget the guy's name. Um, but he, um, a lot of the strategies I use are similar to the strategies that he used. So I think a lot of it is how you approach things. Like there's a lot of people who are trying to like, Hey, I need a ghostwriter, write a 50, you know, or a hundred thousand word book for me, pay $500. And you're like, not going to do that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there are people out there who understand value and who are like, I need a new sales letter budget, $2,000 or $3,000. There are gigs like that as well. So I think if you're selective about, the gigs that you're applying for, um, that it could be a good, a good resource. So I really thought like, I honestly, for the freelancing course I'm going to do, I'm going to reach out to him. I haven't the guy who did that and ask him if I can use what he shared as like a case study. Cause I thought it was really good advice. Uh, so I think it is worth going on Upwork and at least looking around. Yeah, I yeah. definitely will. And then, and then a couple of things with that too, what I've always done or what I did back in the day is I would almost always intentionally be the most expensive person. Cause what you're going to find is like that 80, 20 rule with clients, or maybe it's a 90, 10 where there's a bunch of people on there who just want, want it done cheap. But then there's that, you know, every one out of every 10 or two, every, every 10 clients, like wants the, wants the best person and they want to pay the most. So there are times where I almost wish people, I, I hate to say this publicly in a way, but I almost wish people would charge me more because then I would feel even more confident in hiring them. Right. If that makes yeah. sense. Right. So I'd rather position myself at if somebody puts a range at 20 to $50 an hour, I'd come in at $50 an hour and I'd be like, Hey, I'm at the top of you know, the range, but that's because I'm better here. Here are all the reasons that I'm better than everybody else who's going to apply. And here's how I get you an ROI and here's how I get you results and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I, w- I would look at that. And then are you in the, the call of copy job jobs group on Facebook? Yeah. Yeah, I am. So, yeah, I'd look at that too. So, but yeah, I mean, basically I would do what you're doing. I think you're on the right track between RMBC and being in copy accelerator light. You're, you're getting a ton of exposure to things. Um, but yeah, I would just focus on getting jobs, different niches, uh, and building up your portfolio. And then I think if you do that and as you keep having success, which I think you'll have given where you're at already as a writer, then, uh, at a certain point it's going to be something where you're going to, it's gonna be very easy to quit the job you have doing the HR stuff because you're gonna find that you're making, you know, way more money uh, doing 
you know, writing copy and doing what you're, what you're passionate about. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and just a quick question as well. Like I, I was watching, um, I think it was your Vegas, um, your, your very first RMBC event, um, or copy accelerator event. Right. You, you talked about how you, how you trained copywriters, um, with like ultimate desktop, uh, copy coach and stuff like that. Um, do you still recommend that kind of process um, that you outlined there? Yeah, I think it's good. I think, you know, when I, when I have copywriters read the ultimate desktop copy coach, um, that's especially for people who have, don't know what copywriting and direct response copywriting, like what those things are. Uh, then I right. think, because then one of the reasons I'm having them read that book is to get exposure to direct response and to, um, you know, kind of what sales copy looks like and everything for somebody like you who already has an understanding, I don't think it is a necessity. Uh, so if it were you, I think that, um, you know, you can read it like even in 2014, 2015, I went through a phase where I was reading a, a bunch of, uh, kind of different resources, like stuff that digital marketer had put up or Perry Belcher had created or even Perry Marshall or, or whoever, all these different guys. And, um, it kind of helped get my wheels turning. And, and I think reading that stuff is valuable. Uh, but I think with the, the RNBC training and all the exposure you're getting there, you, you have a really good foundation. So anything else you look at is kind of just like icing on the cake, I think. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. I'm super excited. Thank you. Yeah, of course, man. Keep me posted. Will do. <laughs> Cheers. For sure. Perfect. All right. Ed, uh, who do we have next here? All right. Beautiful. Next up, we have Josh Knox. Josh is asking about how we use emotion and copy, but from his understanding, it seems that logic takes over for the unique mechanism. So he wanted to hear more about that. Let me unmute him. Josh, you are now ready to talk. What's up, Josh? Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the question is found is founded in the fact that we, we talk a lot about using emotion and copy, and it makes a lot of sense, and we can connect with a lot of people. And then when it comes to the unique mechanism, that seems to be where more logic is brought into the explanation for the reader of the copy, right? And so um, as I'm writing, and I write for... Um, we have a service business, we do uh, payment processing. And so there's a lot of logic that goes through a business owner's mind. And I know emotion as well, but a lot of logic goes to their mind. And it always has to do with the fact that they pay, they get charged a certain fee for the service. And so as I'm writing it, I'm thinking there's a little bit of logic that goes into that mechanism. Um, but I just wanted to be sure I was approaching that the right Cool. No, that's a really good question. And I think you are. The way I look at it is it's almost like a emotion, logic, emotion sandwich, where I think we, I, I think we captivate people, their hearts, like first. And so that's where being emotional and kind of uh, curiosity driven and those things are really important uh, at the beginning. Uh, but then once we've captured their hearts, we do still need to capture their brain. And that's where the mechanism kind of comes into play. It's actually interesting because I haven't thought about it this explicitly before, but with your question, but what it really is, it's like a two tiered thing where the mechanism really is like the brain part where you're like, okay, your heart's in this, you're interested. Like I've, I've caught out your pain point. I've gotten you thinking of a future that is full of 
you know, happiness and, and bliss and free of, free of pain. Uh, but you're now the, the, the brain is, is coming in and being skeptical and saying, ah, I've heard this before. It's probably BS. Right. And I, and so that's where we're going to explain with the mechanism. Cause then if we can do that and we can convince like the logical, rational brain, like that it really is something different. Uh, and that this, this is something different than, than what they've tried before and that there is a real reason that they failed and it's something they hadn't considered and then that we really do have the solution then like once their brain's accepting when you get to the close it becomes very emotion driven again and so but but then you can you can really talk to that emotion and the brain's not going to act as like a as a gatekeeper or a bouncer right the brain's accepted it as well so you've gotten both the heart and the brain both uh accepting of it and that's where you have the best chance of getting people to take action or convert yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that's sort of the mechanism I'm using for my particular industry. Um, it's the the mechanism that I'm working on has to do with cognitive dissonance, right? Because as humans, when we get new information and it's contrary to what we've experienced before, we have this sort of emergency break that's called cognitive dissonance that steps in and says, "Wait a second, that doesn't sound right to me. I've never heard that before, and I don't know that I agree with it." And that's sort of the emotional logic-based response that each person has when we talk to them about what we offer. And I would say that's probably true with a lot of people about any product. You know, anytime you look at any kind of offer out there, it's your brain's throwing up this emergency signal that says, wait a second, that doesn't drive with what I've experienced in the past. And so it must be wrong. And cognitive dissonance says, we got to chuck that now because we don't think it's going to work for us. So that's kind of what I've been thinking through is that logic base, but I, I'm glad you said that. I, the, and that made more, much more sense. Emotion, logic, emotion. So. Yeah. hundred percent. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure, man. Sweet. Boom. Good stuff. Good stuff. Here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. Next up we do have. Blake McNamara. So Blake is asking, how to use RMBC to get better at copy? He's new to copywriting and getting decent quickly. His mentor, Ian Stanley, said his emails were good enough, but he's having some trouble coming up with daily email ideas and his process is pretty slow. So Blake, let me unmute you and let's get the show on the road. What's up, Blake? Hey, Stefan. How you doing? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm actually at my nine to five right now. <laughs> nice. Are you, are you uh, under a desk? Deciding? Yeah. Uh, no, actually, I'm out, I'm outside right now. I had inventory to do, uh, so I lucked out that you guys picked it right then. Perfect. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm new to email copy. Um, I've gone through some of Ian Stanley's courses, and he said I'm good enough to get clients, but it's just um, in writing daily, it feels like I'm writing a lot of the same material, which I think is probably due to um, like writing for one niche, but I don't see if I get multiple clients, how I would be able to like write different things, like not feel like I'm just rehashing the same email for different clients. And are you, I'm pulling up uh, something that I'm going to share, but um, when you, when you do this, are you doing a lot of like autoresponder kind of daily content? Cause there's obviously one thing if you're, if you're doing uh, like swipes and kind of click now emails that are promoting products all the time. And it's another thing if you're also trying to help clients build like relationships with their lists and things. So what kind of emails are you primarily doing? 
Uh, so right now I don't technically have clients. I'm just doing like, I've done pre-trials for people. Um, so that's, that's another question too, is like, it seems depending on the business, there are some that are just trying to sell the click and there are some that are emotion based. Um, so with the sell the click emails, it seems easier cause um, you just have one action, but in the, um, like relationship based, it seems a little more difficult. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. So what I would do with the relationship based stuff, and I've actually, I did this for myself personally when I was launching my email list is I took, um, I created like a, a spreadsheet almost and not even almost, I actually created a spreadsheet and I, ca- I had three tabs or three sort of categories. So I had personal stories, uh, tangible value, which I'll explain in a second, and then other people's stories. And then within the, the personal stories, like I had uh, columns for where I wrote different things down, like pivotal moments in your life, a personal struggle, victories, failures, a conflict with yourself or another, or a recent discovery. And then I kind of thought about that and I'm like, okay, well, like what are pivotal moments in my life? So once I have here meeting my wife, Laura at a poker table, being hired by Yi on warrior forum, uh, a guy named Dr. Farrow, who's a friend of mine who was an early client from Elance, uh, referred me to a guy named Dr. Anunziata and that launched my first profitable business. Uh, breaking up with Laura because I was stressed, but she wasn't the problem. I realized my life was a problem. This is years ago, obviously. My dad dying. Um, so basically as I'm going through, right, and I'm, I'm thinking through it, I'm like, here are all these pivotal moments in my life. Uh, I'm like, well, I can write an email about every single one of those things. And then the same thing with a personal struggle. It's like, okay, time management, uh, my ADD, lifting weights. So I hate to lift weights, but I do it at least once a week because I don't want to have man boobs. Uh, being depressed mm-hmm. in New York when... Laura was pregnant with my daughter because of seasonal depression and undiagnosed ADD. So if we kind of do that, um, I, I would recommend if you, if, even if you're doing it for a client, right? It's the same thing. You can have these categories and be like, Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to list out like all of these, um, kind of things. Like, and again, like, you know, uh, pivotal moments in your life, like, you know, you, they could, they could do them as little videos to you or audio or whatever, but like kind of think through all the pivotal moments in your life. What was the background? What happened? What was the outcome? Why is that worth sharing? And the same thing with like times that you struggled or your victories or your failures, um, et cetera. And then sometimes you can also do the tangible value stuff too, right? So maybe you have Mm -hmm. a specific hack or a specific trick. Like if I'm like, hey, here's three things you can do to increase your average order value, right? That's just tangible value. Um, or things like that. So I think if you, if you look at that systematically and you sort of almost create like a spreadsheet and you list all this stuff out, um, or have your client do it, then I think that will give you uh, a surprising amount of topics. I I, honestly, I found that I don't actually, I haven't had that spreadsheet up in like in in several months because I've just kind of always have something to write about, Uh, Mm -hmm. which you may find too, as you get into like the habit, but it's a lot easier when I'm talking about myself than when I'm talking for a client. So if you have that from a client, I think that that could help you, uh, significantly. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so it's basically like creating the like RMBC headline matrix, but with like email topics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Do my pleasure. Oh, and then by the way, Jasmine did say topical news stories as well, which is true because you can always do some about if you're doing broadcast, you can talk about what's in the news and, and that always gives you fodder if you're really at uh, having writer's block also.
Okay. Yeah, that's usually where I start because I don't, <laughs> they're free trials. So I don't know like enough about the person to write emotional stories from their past because I don't, I just don't know them. But yeah, that's cool. helpful. Thank you. Okay, cool. My pleasure. Sweet. All right. Next up, we have Christian Loparco. He wants to become a faster copywriter. And he remembers that Justin Goff says you did like 10 sales in 30 days. How did you do it? Sweet. What's up, Christian? Unmute myself. Hello, Stefan. Can you hear me? I can, yeah. Awesome. Pleasure to connect. Yeah, so Ed read out my question, and uh, it, it, you just impressed the, the shit out of me, to be honest, when I heard, I saw Justin write about you, and how there was a point where you had like 10 sales letters, sorry, 10 of like the 12, or 8 of the 10 uh, sales letters on ClickBank were all controls you written, and you wrote them right. super fast because you had a retainer client, you just, it just blew my mind, and I realized that I'm not the fastest copywriter, I would call myself average, and uh, definitely slower than you or, or uh, I heard Clayton make these rest in peace. I heard Clayton was really, really fast. I know Dan Kennedy is really, really fast. And I just want to know like the action steps or things that I can do to get faster, to get on you or Clayton or Dan Kennedy's level in terms of speed, because I feel like I'm average or below average right now. For sure. Yeah. I mean, do you, have you been through RMBC? Like, do you have the, the course or have you kind of gone through the trainings for that much? No, I, I've seen your, um, Actually, I, I I have your slide deck from I don't know from the event and also from your sales page. Uh, so no, there was a page on your website, but I, I didn't invest in the course. Sorry for being a cheap asshole and asking you a question like no, this. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten it yet. Um, but do you think like I, I don't know because that's like to me hearing that story is just like magic to me of how fast you are as a as a writer and I just yeah I honestly yeah for for something like what what you're because because what I. The feedback I get from people who really get trained in RMBC is that they can write stuff like way faster afterwards. So I'm not trying to like, the point of the show is not to make it a pitch for anything like RMBC or my mastermind or whatever. But I, like I, that is one of the huge benefits of RMBC and that framework is that you write stuff way quicker. So, and that's true of like, no matter what, what niche it is. Um, like Jake, Ho Jake Hoffberg, uh, who's in about RMBC, it's a financial copywriter and he just used it and wrote this like promo that normally would have taken him like two months and seven days. And it was like the best converting promo he ever had. And pretty much uh, other people were saying how they just write in like an eighth of the time they used to. And the reason why is because like when you break it down that way where you know, okay, research mechanism, brief and copy, and you kind of like look at it, it's like research really takes you maybe three hours, four hours. If you kind of follow answer the questions that I lay out. Right. So then, all right, so that's, that's three hours. Uh, and then the mechanism, coming up with a unique mechanism, probably takes you three or four hours if you kind of follow the process. So now you're at six hours, maybe you're at eight hours. Uh, then you do the brief. The brief takes you probably about three hours because the brief is essentially these questions that you're answering before you start writing. But it's stuff like, what's the background story, the story of discovery, what's the product, um, what are the pain points, like what have they tried in the past? And why didn't they like them? Like you're answering all this stuff. And if you do the brief correctly, you're kind of writing it in copy format. And the reason that's important is because when you get to step four, C for copy, then you actually have a bunch of your sales letter already written. So if like the research takes you four hours, say the mechanism takes you four hours. I think the brief really is like three hours. That's 11 hours, but you already have a bunch of your sales letter written. Then uh, 
when it comes to write the copy, the copy is going to take you like six to eight hours. So at that point, you're looking at like 17, 19 hours, like less than 20 hours to write the full promo. Um, and so that's where, that's how I was able to write a sales letter every two and a half days. And sometimes I would write a full sales letter in a day. Uh, it's kind of, you know, grueling to do that sometimes, but that's what, that's why the process is so valuable. It, it's like the, 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 the tricks and hacks and stuff are cool, but it basically is this framework where it forces you to go modularly and step-by-step step and it produces that outcome. Um, like, and even if you don't do it that fast, like Brian Sparanello, who's in copy accelerator, just wrote his first kind of really long form sales letter for health. And it took him uh, 60 hours, like six zero, but still it's like, okay, that's like one week, um, you know, or like a few long days and he'll get faster too. So I don't know if that helps again. I'm not, you know, but that, that is, that's the answer. It's like my, the RMBC method. And I don't, you know, I'm not telling you you have to, to get the course or anything, but like that is the honest answer to how I'm able to write stuff uh, so fast. Right. So it's the framework. I'm curious, does this framework or do you apply, say you're going to do an email sequence. That, oh, sorry. My timer. Um, say you're going to do write an email sequence. Do you use the same framework or the, of the RMBC because like say you're doing an email sequence or is it just for sales pages or VSLs? Yeah. So for RMBC, like I would, there, there are trainings in the course on how to write email sequences. Um, there's something, uh, from, from Jared, uh, Jared Harlan, who does all the, uh, kind of email stuff for natural health Sherpa. And he kind of goes through his process and this thing called PWAT, P-W-A-T, which I know somebody else, people have been using that who have the course and they're writing emails way faster as well. So it incorporates parts of RMBC, uh, but it's also kind of its own little formula. Um, but you know, when you combine those two things together, it, it, that's where you get the fastest emails. Got it. Thank you so much, Stefan. Great to, uh, great to talk. I know it's been a while since I met you in real life, but uh, p- pleasure to connect virtually. Yeah, 100%, man. Thanks for, thanks for asking. Thank you. Yeah. And by the way, I know some people are saying, can we see this recording later? I've got a dash. Yeah, we will. I'll, I'll put the recording up on YouTube by tomorrow. Um, I do want to put these up as podcast format as well, but it's going to take, it'll probably be a few weeks before these start coming out as podcasts. And the reason why is because I'm going to work with my friend, Luis Diaz, who I know, Ed, you know, Luis, and um, kind of do the podcast stuff as like more of a launch and really get it all streamlined and everything. Dude, that's sick. He's a good guy to work with. Yeah, we had a good chat this morning. He's a cool guy. <laughs> that's awesome, bro. Glad to hear it. All right, next up. Hey, we you know, have- hey, Ed, actually, sorry, oh, yep. one second. Before everybody, um, before I go to the next question, is this for everyone who, who is here on the call listening, have you guys been getting value from this so far? I just want to make sure if you can type like a yeah in the chat or whatever, if you Dude, are. this is really good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm seeing good feedback here. Awesome. All right, Ooh, I just want to make sure. Up. Good, good. All right, perfect. I just want to make sure everyone's not seeing here like, oh man, what a, what a disaster. So glad to know that's not the case. Um, all right, cool. I'd go ahead and we can step definitely said Blake. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a lot of questions about clients. I think we answered a little bit of that. So let's move on to something a little bit different. Got a question from Luca Shaleski about how would you go about developing an app that you believe to be a huge idea without proper funding? So raising money to making it happen and partnering with the right person to do so to help make it happen. So I, I feel like basically he wants to develop an app, but what's the best way to get funding and find the right partner with the right person? Cool. 
Luca, you want to unmute him? They're perfect. There we go. Luca, go ahead. What's hey, up, Luca? Can you hear me? How you, yeah, how you doing? Good, how about you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to necessarily disclose the idea just yet, but I, sure. I, yeah, I just like, um, as far as like the whole process, um, and like, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? Um, and if you need any more clarity, we can definitely go over it for sure. So, okay. You want to develop an app. You think it has huge potential, but you're kind of figuring out how you could get it like to the public and specifically funding. I mean, how, how much money do you think it would cost to launch the app? Um, so that's the thing I would, I would need to find the right developer or like, um, you just ha have that first dialogue with those developers to see what it all entails. Um, so like that developer costs and I don't know if you have ever had experience in apps or, or know anyone that has. Yeah, I have, I built some, some apps back in the day. It's been a long time. And I, you know, I think that there, the answer is the developer costs are going to be all over the place. So I would probably leverage my network. Like, you know, you're, you're in copy accelerator. Like I would probably post there and ask people, Hey, does anyone know a good app developer that you can vouch for or recommend? Cause I think if you just post for it on, you know, Upwork or somewhere like that, you're going to get people who say, I can build it for $3,000 and you're going to get people who say I can build it for $150,000 and you're going to have no idea, you know, who you should go with. Uh, cause some people will be undercharging and it's going to be complete garbage. And some people are overcharging cause they're just hoping you'll say yes. Um, but I think you gotta, yeah, the first step is really getting clear on that. Like if, if, if cause even if you want to raise money, right. Then you have to come up with like a business plan, so to speak. And it doesn't have to be a really crazy formal business plan, but it does have to be, uh, you know, why I, you know, you need to come with, obviously, what is it like, what, you know, what is this, this app? Like, why is it, um, going to make a difference? Why do we need it? Why does it matter? You need to have like research showing that there's a real need in the market and that people would be likely to, to want to use the app. Um, it would be good to have like a competitor analysis in there that kind of talks about like, Hey, here's other people that are doing similar things in the space and here's how well and successful they've done. So it's not just about like the competitor being a threat. It's also showing that there's all this potential. Cause if you're like, Oh, three people had an idea similar to this, but not as good. And you know, this company sold for a billion dollars and this company's, you know, got over 5 million subscribers and all of that kind of stuff. Then, um, yeah, that's going to help like, uh, with a potential investor as well. And then you do need to have like a breakdown of the cost for everything, like what they, what those are, you know, a timeline or a roadmap kind of like to everything from going into development until to launching, um, you know, you'd have all that kind of stuff and what the costs are going to be mapped out. And then finally, you really would want to have sort of a, a roadmap for, with goals for, for kind of, you know, downloads, sales, whatever it is, the different metrics that are important. So if you take, um, taking all of that into account, like that's how you would, you would do it. So you need to have all of that to raise money. Um, I'm a big fan of bootstrapping when possible. So I guess the one thing like, cause I, you know, it's like if you raise a bunch of money, then you're going to have, you know, you have diluted equity and you have a bunch of people who are potentially, um, you know, going to want to go in different directions and who can wrest control from you in the future and do all these sorts of things. So, mm -hmm. you know, depending on how much the app's going to cost, I understand you may need to take money. It, it's better to bootstrap. Um, 
but if you can't, then that's fine. But again, I would like to at least know what it is. Cause even then, if you know, say it's going to cost you $50,000 to launch, right. And like, that may sound like a lot sort of, but if it's a really good idea and you have everything I just mentioned and you go to like somebody like Justin or myself, or really a lot of the other people who, you know, in the space now, and you kind of share like, Hey, this is my idea. Here's my like pitch deck. Here's like the numbers and everything like that. I really think that this can be successful. Um, you know, and it's going to cost $50,000. Then there's a, a reasonable chance that I would be like, I don't know about me. I, it would depend on the app and stuff, but like, you know, somebody will probably give you $50,000 for 50% or something like that. Um, so I, you know, you don't necessarily need to like make it a whole thing where you're doing a ton of fundraising and raising rounds of investment and all that kind of stuff. Like you could probably just get your seed investment uh, from your personal network, but you'd have to know the numbers. And then Luca, the last thing besides everything I mentioned too, would be the team, right? So if you're gonna, cause if you show me your business plan and it's like, you're there and I'm like, okay, well, like I know Luca a little bit and he understands copy and he works hard and he's smart and all that. That's great. But I would love to see if you had two or other, three other people who are signed on or who you want to hire and you need money to hire those people, but who have experience taking a similar app and helping it to grow and scale. Cause if I see that and I see that experience, then I'm going to be, again, the, the more uncertainty you can remove from my head that if I give you money, I'm going to get an ROI. The more you can make me feel like that is a real possibility. Um, you know, the more likely I am to want to give you money. So does that answer your question some and, and help? Oh yeah, for sure. Like, cause I, I really have no idea. And I, I don't know, like as far as seed capital, like how much percent of the company would you want to give away? And like, yeah, so this is obviously awesome and amazing to hear cause I'm coming from zero clue. Yeah. And, I, and, and as far as how much you give away, I mean, of course you want to give away as little as possible, but it also is going to depend on like, you know, your background and experience as somebody who's never launched like an app before, um, and who maybe doesn't have a ton of experience. I feel like to get that money, you're probably gonna to need to give away a higher percentage of equity. Uh, you know, it's possible you could go to five people and I'm, I'm using $50,000 arbitrarily, but I mean, I think you could go to like five people and ask each of them for 10,000 for 10% because yeah, then you still have, uh, or, you know, maybe you do 49, you keep 51%, whatever it is. Uh, but like, you know, and then that way it's a little bit more, there's, there's more diverse people. Cause, cause the one thing that you may run into as well is if I, even if I give you 50%, um, like, or so if you give me 50%, like I don't really want to become your partner, right? I don't want to be on a bunch of calls. I don't want to be, I don't have to take on all that responsibility. So like, oh. I, I, so, so, which is the same thing with, with most people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Or what did you say? Oh, you're I said, ouch. yeah, no, but it's the same thing. Um, if you, if you look at like uh, Perry Belcher and the guys at digital marketer and, and what they they've done, it's actually the same thing. They've talked about that publicly where they used to try to take like half of a company and then they realized that they didn't want half of a company because the expectations on them were way too high. They would rather have 10 or 20% of the company and be able to like contribute strategically, but not have to have this burden of people looking at them as some 50, 50 partner. Um, so yeah, that's just something to consider as well. And then Christopher Ogle did mention the lean startup by Eric Reese. If you haven't read that, that is a really good book. Um, so you should, you should check that book out. Okay. And then, uh, the last part about that question, like you mentioned competitor analysis would, if there is like an idea in, 
um, a separate niche, but it's like similar, um, similar idea. Would that be a good example as, as to show like, Hey, it did well here. It's a, it's virtually a similar idea, but just in a different space. Yeah, I think so. I think because again, you know, it, it got overused, but this idea of it's the Uber of whatever. Right. And I don't think we want to say <laughs> that anymore. Cause that, that became almost a joke because it was so overused, but being able to talk about how you're taking a proven model in one industry, but now you're going to kind of disrupt another or apply it to another, I think is something that investors are very interested in. Um, another thing that I, investors are very interested in is uh, network amplifying effects. So that meaning when the more people who use like the app that the kind of better the app becomes, the more valuable it becomes, the more uh, impact it has, the it, kind of the self-feedback loop, that's something that they're really interested in, uh, interested in. I had a conversation maybe a year ago with one of my really good friends. Her husband was the co-founder of FanDuel, which was like a betting company that got to like a billion dollar valuation. And I kind of talked to him about, you know, what are investors looking at? And, uh, that was one of them was like the network amplifying effects so that the more people who use the app or the system, the stronger it becomes and the more engaged it becomes and the more people use it. So if you can kind of build that into your pitch as well, then, uh, I think that that's going to be very valuable and then help you out too. And how does that relate to like affiliate marketing? I mean, it's virtually similar or the exact same idea, right? Just not less. Well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, um, just, um, as far as the network amplifying effect, just using your, your network and asking them to mail out, or is there some sort of way to kind of use, um, like the various networks that we know and the list sizes that we have to kind of help with that? Yeah, I think that I wouldn't look at affiliate marketing and network amplifying effects as being exactly similar. I, I think network amplifying effects is more, the more people who use Uber as passengers, the more drivers there are going to be, the more drivers there are going to be, the less time you're going to have to wait, the more people are going to see that and want that and download the app and use it. And so there's like a feedback loop, right? That's um, so that's what I mean more by the network amplifying effect aspect. Um, Regarding, you know, affiliate marketing though, yeah, like you can get leverage or, or get more traffic by having more affiliates driving traffic to the app. And that could be part of your business model for sure. But, you know, even there, it has to, the economics have to make sense. Like if you tell me we're going to pay affiliates a, you know, $5, uh, you know, CP download, I know what the, the abbreviation is for that, right? But, um, and which, which people do. There's people who pay a CPA, so cost per acquisition, they'll basically pay a, a commission for every time somebody downloads an app. And that's a whole huge uh, part of affiliate marketing and marketing in general. And a lot of guys are doing that kind of some shady stuff too, because it's like the app has spyware on it or whatever, but it doesn't always, it isn't always that way. So you could totally apply that to your app idea also. Um, but you know, you'd have to just prove that that's a real model that people if you paid them that amount of money, they would be willing to, you know, drive traffic to get people to download and engage with your app. So you just have to be able to prove that. Well, yeah. I mean, that pretty much answers everything. The only other question I would be is like, if I asked for developers or anyone like that or funding, um, do I just kind of get on a call and do more of like a one-on-one -on -one to kind of present the idea? I guess so. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're going to use your network to, to get, 
Well, yeah, yeah, for funding, for sure. I mean, yeah. you'd probably create like a pitch deck and then be like, hey, here's my pitch deck. Um, like, you know, check it out. And then I'd love to get on a call and kind of walk you through it. And even if, you know, you can be like, even if you're not going to invest, I'd still love, you know, to hear, pick your brain and get feedback and your opinion and all that kind of stuff. Cause that helps to alleviate this thing of like, ugh, I got on this call with Luca. He's going to, he wants me to invest in this company. I don't know if I want to or not. But if you're like, I kind of, you know, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend like I wouldn't, I wouldn't act like you, it's just a feedback thing. Cause that's like disingenuous, but I'd be like, of course I would love you to invest. But at the same time, if you know, even if you're not going to invest, like just to get your insights and kind of stress test this pitch with you, uh, would be really valuable to me. And I think if you do it that way, you'll get a lot more people who will kind of hear out your pitch and your idea. Um, and then, yeah, what, uh, Christopher said too. Yeah, definitely NDAs before you send the pitch deck. Cause like I get pitch stuff pretty regularly and I'll sign an NDA for that stuff too. Um, but yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, that, that was great. Thanks, Stefan. You're the man. Yeah. Hey, my <laughs> pleasure, man. Sweet. All right. Next up we have Peter Semis. I think I pronounced that correctly. He asks, what are the best ways to find a unique mechanism and big idea in a more saturated niche? Peter, you're free to talk. What's up, Peter? How are you? Good, man. How you doing? Good, good. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so, like, weight loss is a big niche, obviously, or massive niche. It's not so big. Um, and, like, keto or stuff like that, like, how would you find a unique mechanism as well as kind of a big idea in those kinds of niches that have been, like, you know, attempted again and again, and clearly they keep converting, so. Yeah, so I would do, um, I mean, for health, it's kind of easy because, like, I would go to sciencedaily.com and type in whatever, uh, you know, like a keto or fat, like loss or weight loss or whatever. And if you do that, you'll see a ton of, it basically takes all of the new discoveries around like a certain topic. And it gives you like a pretty easy to understand summary with like quotes from the lead scientists and the people who did the studies. And it then will link to the actual study as well. So if you do that, I mean, that's what, if I'm doing a new health product, um, science daily is one of the very first places that I would go. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, it's a huge kind of hack and, and it's pretty much always where I go for health. Uh, then on top of that, when you're doing like research in, in RMBC and you're looking through forums, like you will see people talking about, Hey, has anybody tried this? Has anybody tried that? And if you go kind of do enough of that research, you'll start seeing people talking about interesting solutions or remedies. And this isn't just in weight loss. It can be in almost any niche or category uh, mm -hmm. that you may not have heard of before. And then if you kind of do some Googling and you look and find like, do other people or a lot of people talking about this and if they aren't, or if there aren't a lot of products to talk about it, then you can kind of go down a, ra a rabbit hole there. So for example, and I think this is in the, the video for the weight loss research example that I do in RMBC. Like mm -hmm. I was looking at one of the, the forum threads from, 2012 and people were talking about keto in there but keto didn't really get big or blow up until 2017 2018 so yeah. it's like man if i had you know been doing my research for this back then and gone to this forum i may have seen ketogenic what is that and like googled it and ended up creating this like you know i could have been the person who started like the keto niche you know yeah. um 
So that stuff exists, and, but it exists in real estate forums, financial and investing forums. People, talk, people will talk about unique or fringe strategies or things that aren't mainstream. And then if you take those, can look at them, kind of write, write down things that are interesting or that you've never heard of and that you don't see being brought up a lot, but that do seem interesting. And then you do more research on those things and how they work. Um, that's a really good way to kind of get, uh, develop a unique mechanism as well. If those things end up having legs, legs underneath them and are things that seem valuable. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. A pleasure. Sweet. Awesome. By the way, I just took a quick survey in the chat and, uh, people are loving this man. People are really learning a lot. Good. That's awesome. I'm, I'm enjoying it too. I'm, uh, you know, it's fun. I'm talking a lot, but, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. I get to, I like being able to kind of answer questions and stuff. So I'm, I'm glad it's going well here. Yeah. And there's people who are saying in the chat, they're like, you know, there's a lot of radio shows where people will shortcut the question, like to kind of go through all of them, but they really like that you're taking the time to answer the questions in depth and they can really feel that you actually care. And it's true. You do. Thanks man. Yeah, I, I do. And, and that's, what's cool about doing it this way is, um, that we can do that. You know, I mean, I, like I'm going to do a hard stop at like 1130 my time. So we have about a half an hour more. Uh, so if I don't get to every question, it's going to be annoying, but it, it, it is what it is. But um, at the same time, I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to give some BS surface level answer that is uh, maybe a good soundbite, but that doesn't help. I want everyone who is on this show and who listens to this show to really, you know, to walk away with stuff that they can implement or that really helps them. Um, and so that means going deeper. So it's, it's a lot of fun to do that. For sure. So next question here is from Christopher Ogle. Did we already have him on? I feel like we did. No, I think he asked it in, in chat and then. Right, you, that's uh, right. Right. Okay, cool. So Christopher asks, where's the best place to find scalable clients who need sales letters? I feel confident contacting them via cold email and even with a small portfolio but how would I actually find the companies, especially if they don't have a sales page created? Cool. What's up, Christopher? Hey, Stefan. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Pretty, very, very clear, actually. Awesome. I'm going to be super quick because I've got the little one here and she's, she's getting hungry. I think you know what it's like. So, um, all right. So, so the, yeah, the question, is, as Ed mentioned, was just about how to find those, those companies. I mean, if you had a list, where would you go? Would you just go out if they have a website, for example, and they have a product, but they don't have a specific sales page, you know, is that enough? Or are you looking for the ones that are already converting and trying to, to improve what it is that they already have? Um, cause I feel comfortable contacting them by a cold email. I've been doing that for, for a long time and I have a, a small portfolio, but you know, I feel it's enough to actually start reaching out, but how would you actually go and find them? I mean, could you go on to ClickBank and find, offers there or where would you actually find some of these companies scalable clients to to contact yeah i would i would a couple of things so i don't know if you've seen but in the the justin and stefan talk copy uh facebook group there's i think john who's on the uh who's on this call as he was earlier he made like a like a list of lists which is like a ton of different uh health companies and, and actually not just health financial survival everything and it's like a list of all of these companies and it includes um, like their contact, the contact info for the company, the web address, um, like all this stuff here. So uh, that's like an incredible resource. I just bumped it in the Justin and the Stuff and Talk copy group uh, yesterday for somebody else. But 
I, I, that's one place you can go because you'll see who the owners are, who the contacts are. No, it's a free group, Max. Just if you go on Facebook, it's just uh, Justin and Stefan talk copy. Uh, so, Ed, you could you could share a link or just type it out there too. Uh, but yeah, it's a really amazing resource that John and some other people have collaborated on. And so that that's a, a place where I would um, I would do that. And then within that too, in the group, I think if you have specific offers or because even if you go on ClickBank and you see offers that you think are interesting, I would probably leverage like Facebook groups like that and be like, hey, does anybody know, you know who's behind this offer or who the contact is here? And I would just be asking my personal network. And I think if you do that, uh, then you should be able to get uh, answers to some of those. And then from there, it'll be easy to be able to reach out and contact them. Like I'm a big, big believer in um, like uh, kind of leveraging your network as much as possible. It's almost like the lazy man's, you know, shortcut to this stuff. So that's kind of how I would approach that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. It really does. I mean, the, the group has been fantastic. I mean, I only joined uh, probably two, three weeks ago and there's just value in there every single day and, and such a great community. Everyone's in there to help each other out. So, so I totally agree with, with that and leveraging the network. So, okay, perfect. One quick part two to this question. I have a, a client who I helped in the cold email space and they do about 50 million a year in revenue and they have this product it's it's incredible it's like a vinegar weed killer and it's killing it on amazon now they don't have a sales page set up for their actual website or it's pretty basic so with that leveraging the network could you actually reach out to them and say hey i know your, your product's killing it on amazon could we actually build out a sales page for this particular product that you already know is selling well on another platform could that just could that be another door you could go through yeah i would i would definitely do that and you've already nice. you've already worked done stuff with them you've already helped with their emails yeah i helped book them calls with like walmart and walgreens and some of the other big billion dollar brands and stuff through cold emails so that's how i kind of started with copy was writing writing emails cold emails and then i now want to move into doing this, this the actual sales letters and, and things like that and, and conversions. so i could reach back out and say you know hey look I, I, I know you've got these, these products. They've got these amazing eco-friendly products in a couple of different, um, you know, sub niches and they're smashing it on, on Amazon. They're just making a ton of revenue and right. their website is just pretty, pretty basic. So I just thought that might be, might be an avenue to go down. Yeah. I put a, a link in the chat that, um, I think Justin, uh, Justin Goff shared with me a few, maybe a month back. It's for a, like an eco-friendly uh, I think it's like a laundry detergent, uh, but, and they're called, I think the, the domain is something about waterliberty.com or uh, you, the, the links in the chat there, but they're kind of doing that exact thing. They have a somewhat direct response oriented kind of sales letter and they're, I'm pretty sure they're doing, and they're definitely doing at least seven figures, if not eight figures on that. So yeah, I think something like that could, could totally do well for sales letter. And I think given that they're already smashing on Amazon, they already know and trust you. Um, I think if you show them some examples of other people and their sales letters and how that's going, and then you position yourself as the expert, um, I would absolutely do that. I think that's a, a very easy kind of no brainer, uh, thing to do. Perfect. That's it. Thank you very much. And yeah, really appreciate all the, all the content that you've been putting out and, and for this call. It's uh, brilliant stuff. Thanks. Cool. Yeah. My pleasure, Christopher. And then it looks like Luca just shared the spreadsheet in the chat as well. So, Ed, Ed will you keep like kind of like almost like a show notes thing? Will you kind of keep track of like links that get 
share it in the chat too. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> let me let me get on that right now. Um, yes, bro. Dude, I'm I'm like your Jamie, bro. I'm your Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Next up we have Ian Petit. He says, I don't have a lot of time throughout the week to write, though I think my copy chops are pretty decent. Is it better to just focus on your cold outreach method and try to land my dream clients rather than split my time between that and chasing down less desirable gigs on places like Upwork and Cult of Coffee job board? What's up, Ian? Hey, Stefan. How's it going, man? It's going good. I've always, uh, is, I'm guessing it's, it's Ian Pettit and not Petit. Is it that right? Is. Or, yes. Oh, my bad. Yeah, you got it, man. <laughs> oh, good. I wanted to. I'm used to French. <laughs> um, cool. So, yeah, I think my first question on that, Ian, would be, um, I'm, where, where are you, as much as you're comfortable sharing, like kind of where are you at financially, right? Because it's one thing if you sort of need like money, like, and right. so you need to bring in as many gigs as possible. But if you're, you know, if you have the luxury of being more selective, then I would be more selective. So kind of curious about, yeah, where you're at with that. Well, so I've got a full-time gig. I'm a design engineer by day. And uh, right now the base pay, you know, I'm in, I'm in like the Midwest. So the 60K I'm making with like a wife and two kids and a mortgage is like enough to get by. But, you know, the J-O-B lifestyle is, is not my thing. So, sure. you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I, because I have such limited time, I'm really looking for a, a faster track. Um, so, you know, while I've invested in courses for myself to kind of get those copy chops up to scratch, it's not like I'm dying for money, like I can't pay the bills next month. Got Does that it. make sense? Yeah, it does. And what kind of like portfolio do you have right now? Um, I've done a few like YouTube scripts and a like a product explainer video for um, for Dan Locke. Uh, I've done like a a website like all the web copy for uh, like a sheet metal manufacturing site. I've helped the guy with his um, uh, like his resume. So just like here and there little gigs and then everything else has been like spec copy uh, or like sort of test like assignment stuff for the courses that I've taken. Right. So it's, it's, there's nothing really uh, under my feet that I can stand on and say, Oh, Hey, like here's a, here's a sales letter I wrote that crushed it. Or here's an email sequence I wrote that the open rate was 30% or anything like that. Got it. But you do have a portfolio and some samples and you, you, yeah, yeah you feel like bit. you're, you, I mean, if you're going to rate your copy kind of skill from a one to a 10 and don't, don't be like modest, be honest, you know, like what, where would you put it like right now? Uh, probably, a, I'll use a decimal. I'll go seven and a half. I feel like the structure and everything that I've learned from taking courses and reading online and following you guys' stuff, I, I already had a, had a good grasp of the English language and how to write, how to put a sentence together. And then the more tactical things as far as psychology and market research that I've learned since then. Um, I think, you know, it's just the experience uh, that would have to uh, take me up 
you know, to, to where I think I really need to be to charge what I want to charge, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. So given that, um, and the fact that you are, you know, financially comfortable and comfortable meaning again, not stressed about paying the mortgage or where the, you know, bills are gonna, where the money's gonna come for the bills and things like that. I would, I would probably, and if, and if you feel like you're a seven and a half and you just need more experience with the right clients then yeah, I think it's fine to be focused on the right clients. I, I think, you know, I, I would focus on that and, and doing that outreach. And then if you're not having any results with that, which I mean, hopefully you will, uh, at that point, maybe you go back to looking for some just other paying clients just to keep building up your portfolio. Um, cause if you get, you know, just one kind of like mediocre client, but then they happen to blow up, then that gives you a ton of credibility too. Um, right. Like if you can get, if you kind of get sure. on the wave at the crest. Uh, so, but I think your instincts are right. It, you know, as long as you feel like your, you know, your copy chops are solid enough that if you do get the opportunity for somebody that you're going to, you know, do well and not like kind of, uh, cause the one thing is like the whole thing we teach about getting like your dream clients and doing the cold outreach and all that, like it really, it really works. Uh, but of course you have to be good, right? Cause if you give them something that sucks, right. <laughs> then you kind of burn that. Yeah. You gotta be able right. to deliver yeah, for sure. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Well that, that's good because like, honestly, I don't really like, uh, wasting my time too much with like a little onesie twosie. Like I, I closed a guy on doing a, a sales page for his kind of biz op thing marketed to kind of middle-aged women. And I'm like, I don't know how much potential it has. And I was going to do 300 for the landing page. And he's like, I can do 100 and maybe pay you later. And I, I kind of like the, um, was it the Derek Sivers, uh, it's either hell yes or no approach. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of what I'd like to, the approach I'd like to take going forward. So I'm glad to hear that uh, you think the, my instincts are all right. So. Yeah, I totally, I totally do. I think you're, you're spot on there. Cool, man. Thank you. Yep. My pleasure. Thank you. Sweet. <clears throat> We've got a question here from Marcus Sortias on your thoughts on applying RMBC to writing webinars and selling from stage. Sweet. What's up, Marcus? How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Good. Um, yeah, you'll give any more, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but I, I, is that something that you're, you're doing currently? Are you, um, and would you be doing it for clients or is it something that where you want to be doing the webinars for yourself and selling from stage uh, yourself? Yeah. I'd be interested in like, um, doing webinars for myself and like selling from stage, mostly like courses or coaching and things like that. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think RMBC actually works really well for that. If you look at the, pitch I did in, in Austin for our copy accelerator event. This was back in September. Um, and you know, it was our two day event and I, I pitched and I, I sold, that was me selling from the stage for the first time in my life. Uh, so it was like less than a year ago. Uh, but it ended up, I don't know, I sold, I think we had like 30 memberships at the time that we sold and it was like something like, uh, basically it worked out to like close to a million dollars, like from stage I sold in one wow. pitch or presentation. And, um, yeah. And what's cool is, is I actually really, if you look at, I, I know you don't have access to it in front of you, but if you look at the pitch, it's like pretty much my sales letter outline. So it's like the big promise. I think it was the, um, I can't remember if it was like the, the 
it was like the X essential ingredients that you need to scale on cold traffic. And so it was talked about, you know, the pain point of not being able to scale on cold traffic, promising, mm-hmm. you know, the solution of here's how you're going to do it. Uh, it went into the idea of, um, sort of these different, like we use the, um, the mechanism being like, it's not just the ingredients, like, so things like uh, having a converting offer or high converting sales page, having the right upsells, like all this kind of stuff, but it was like how you put them all together. So I used the example of, of dynamite in my presentation. I talked about how, if you look at the original recipe for dynamite, there is only three ingredients in it. And yet if you mix, if you just take those three ingredients and pour them into a bowl, like nothing happens, right? It doesn't, uh, like the bowl doesn't explode, but you know, if you, it's how, it's how you put them together correctly. And that's what copy accelerator does. It, it gives you, not only do you have these ingredients and these trainings on these ingredients, but then we show you how to put them together in the right way so that you get explosive results. Uh, and there's a bunch of like social proof. And so it really kind of followed my sales letter outline actually very closely. And what was cool is when I did that, there was like a, a 200 people in the room and even the copy accelerator members who were already, you know, in the mastermind, they were watching the pitch too. And they pretty much all like loved it. Cause they're like, Holy shit, you just used your sales letter outline in this like PowerPoint and yeah. you know, to enroll a bunch of people. So, uh, I think you can, you can totally do it, um, from stage. And then the one other thing too, Marcus is, is with a webinar, same thing. Uh, Ed, actually I'm gonna let you chime in cause you've done, you've used RMBC to do a lot of, uh, webinars, including for Dan Locke and some other kind of big people in the space. So oh, love to Ed, hear from Ed. yeah, if you don't mind, Ed. Yeah, for sure. So using RMBC for webinars, it works really well. Um, from what I've found, uh, you just have to tweak the format a little bit because normally to me, the webinar either is like, you know, three secrets or so it's, it's like, if you think about it, if, if you've read uh, Michael Masterson's um, or Mark Ford, I don't know what his alias is there. Uh, if you read great leads, you'd know, uh, you know, secrets lead which is basically a webinar. A webinar is basically just a secret lead, right? But it's yes. a sales letter. So this would be the same approach, but you would be selling the process. So I think Agora, they don't quote me on this, but I know that they have different types of leads for different uh, types of offers. So on a webinar, you would use a systems lead. So it's like, it's selling a systems. Like here's the first step. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. Or they sell a secrets lead, which is, hey, here are three secrets to do X, Y, Z. So that's literally pretty much the only change you'd have for our embassy to do webinars. Oh, that gives a lot of insight. Thank you. My pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, Ed. Uh, Cool. Marcus, you're good? Yes. Yeah, thanks. That was really helpful. Cool. My pleasure. Uh, Ed, thanks for chiming in there, too. Hey, man, my pleasure. So, Ed, I guess with the webinars, it's like the... um, Cause really like it's more, more explicit about these like tangible benefits, right? What are you going to get from watching this webinar? I mean, you, you kind of do that with a VSL too. You should be doing that right with a, a long form sales letter, but with um, a webinar, especially it's kind of like, you know, you're going to see three secrets that can help you to do X, Y, Z, or even my, my thing from stage. Um, it was like uh, at the copy accelerator event and it was like the three essential ingredients you need to explode your offer on cold traffic. So that actually could have made a really good webinar too, probably because it was the same thing, right? Like that, it seems like that's pretty transferable between a webinar and selling from stage as well, at least from the way I'm kind of, I understand it. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I actually want to. So one of my friends the other day asked me, and I actually want to get your opinion on this, Stefan. He asked me, what's the difference between a VSL and a webinar? Mm. Yeah, I think that the differences for me, if we're talking, of course, it depends if it's like a pre-recorded evergreen webinar or a, you know, kind of live webinar. Because with live, I think one of the differences is, is well, either way, there's, you're trying to create the sense of interaction and community and like listening and things like that. And then I think the other one is that with a webinar, you're generally more explicitly educating and you're kind of telling them like, I'm here to educate you. Whereas with a VSL, I think you are, you are going to educate them on the real, you know, cause of the problem, the real solution, but there's maybe more focus on putting these different hooks and prodding curiosity and all that kind of stuff. I mean, but even as I say that, I feel like a good webinar should have that stuff too. So you know, honestly, like, I feel like they're really similar. You know, there's the close is still kind of similar. I mean, the call to action is a little different, maybe, maybe not. But I honestly just feel like they're really similar. I, I don't, I don't see a huge difference. Um, I, like, what do you think, Ed, based on your experience? I'm curious if you, if you had an answer for your friend. Yeah. So the way that I described it was with the with the VSL. Most of the time, you're not selling like high ticket. Like like most webinars. Yeah, that's a good point. Sell to like you know one one like 500 1k 3k 5k 10k right whatever it is so i feel like a lot more belief work has to be done around people being able to get a certain result that's a good um, point there's there's but, a lot more social proof right there's a lot more case studies like you saw testimonials in the sales letter vsl yeah. but on webinars it's like like example after example after example after example of people who have used the same information or the secrets i'm giving you or the systems or whatever and gotten results. So you're really stacking that social proof up. Yeah, for sure. And it's the way that I described it, it's like, it's like you actually have to change somebody's entire worldview around whatever the thing that you're selling is basically and how they relate to that thing and how viable it is and how easy it is. I mean, you do have to do that for a VSL, but it's, it's different. I don't really, I'm honestly having a hard time putting it to words. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm curious because I do feel like you, you know, the, the goal of the mechanism with, with a, a video sales letter or a tech sales letter is kind of the same thing. You are trying to change the worldview. Um, but I think maybe the difference is with a lot of what you're selling in a, a sales letter, if it's like a, you know, a product that costs $49 or $97 and you're saying, hey, like, you know, take this and use this and, and you'll get results or things will change. Maybe just because of the price point alone, it's easier for somebody to accept that or to feel like, well, you know, I'm kind of 50, 50 on if this will work or not, but I don't mind taking the risk. Whereas if you're selling something for a thousand dollars or $5,000 or whatever it is, and you're saying, Hey, do this and your life will change. Um, mm. it's just a much bigger promise. So there's more of a burden behind it. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like anchoring, like a bigger, um, like you said, like a bigger promise, a bigger life shift. It's like, like pre pre framing a bigger change in their life with whatever the the big idea is. Yeah, like if I'm saying, like in a hey, I'm gonna teach you how to get freelancing clients buy my book or my course, and it's like ninety nine dollars, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna try this out. He's got a refund you know policy, so if it doesn't work, fine. But it's easy for them to say yes. If I'm like, 
hey, I'm gonna show you how you can make $250,000 in the next year by getting high paying freelance clients that are coming to you and you're not having to do any of the work and blah, 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 right? Then it's like, mm, bullshit. And oh, by, by the way, it's gonna cost $5,000, right? For me to show you how to do this. Like there's yeah. a much, you know, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot more of a skepticism and, and yeah, like a, more of a barrier, I think. And um, so that's where I think of a webinar, you just have to go a lot harder with stacking all of that proof and really make them believe that they actually can do it. Cause you're, you're, you're making bigger promises in a webinar, I think is a big part of it too. Like even though you're making big promises in the sales letter, they're like, you know, they're not as big a lot of times of a webinar of a, like a real estate webinar or whatever. And then, and then getting people to believe that it's possible. Cause people, I think people believe I can take a pill and my blood sugar will go down. And like, it's not that hard to get somebody to believe that. Cause like I, they, they get medications from their doctors and that's what can happen. And if you're like, hey, these natural ingredients have been proven to help with blood sugar as well, then they're like, well, okay, I mean, that makes sense. I do that. But if you're like, hey, you can own your own real estate investing business and you can start flipping houses with no money down and you can become a millionaire. And they're like, I didn't graduate high school. I can't do any of that shit. Like this guy's, you know, maybe other people can do it, but not me. It's just like a way bigger barrier to get somebody to believe that they really can do that sort of thing. So I think that's a, a, yeah, a huge kind of component that goes into the, the difference between the two. I love that. That's so cool, man. I totally agree. Uh, so there is a question in the chat about the book that you and I recommend about breaking through glass ceilings and beliefs. I just want to, you know, l- let the record show for listeners later on that that book is called the big leap. It's incredible. And it'll be in the show notes. I already have that written down. Yeah. It's a huge, huge book. I recommend that to a, a lot one. of people, a lot of people. It's a really important book for people to read. Cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> Next question here from Gurleen Singh is, do you still struggle with imposter syndrome or did you ever? So I definitely did. Hey, Gurleen. Uh, go ahead and if, do you want to give me any context to that question? Hi. Hey. Um, well, it's, it's weird speaking verbally instead of email. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I was just wondering because like, so from my end, because I'm a new copywriter, right? So I'm already kind of, I guess, experiencing imposter syndrome is kind of like, oh, do I actually know what I'm doing? Do I actually know how to write copy? And so then I was just wondering when people look at, I guess, someone like you and that we see as like super successful in copy, do you still struggle with imposter syndrome? Even though from like my standpoint, it's like, oh no, like. He's got it. He's got it down. Cool. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, when it comes to writing sales copy, I don't really struggle with imposter syndrome uh, anymore. I did certainly, and there's a fear of of yeah, do I really know what I'm doing? Does it make uh, you know? Am I really the right person for this job? Am I going to do a good job? All that kind of stuff. Uh, you know. One thing that helped me when I was going through that is realizing how few people actually know what they're doing. Uh, it's like the first time I realized this was actually in, gosh, I was I'm 19 or 20 and I had, I was involved in like a music, like a record label music startup that, that ultimately failed. But I remember we had a, we, we were part of like a, a nonprofit that had a, a music venue and then we had a record store inside of the music venue and they'd have their monthly kind of executive leadership meetings. And because we had a record store, we were invited to those. So I kind of got to come 
and be a part of that. And I just remember seeing a table with all of these like adults and I felt like a kid and there was these people with, um, you know, MBAs and advanced degrees in marketing and all this stuff. And I remember hearing some of their ideas and some of their things they were talking about. And I was like, these are the stupidest ideas I've ever heard. <laughs> and then other people would be like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, don't do that. And I'm like, you know, like, I'm like, these people have like all of these qualifications and, you know, they'd have consultants who they were paying and all, and they had no idea what they were doing either. And, um, okay. that helped, that helped me a lot grilling. Cause it's the same thing even with, with copy. I mean, even most of the, you know, top, a lot of the, the, the copywriters out there who you see publicly, it's like people love talking about their wins, but they don't really talk about their failures. And even like the really high profile ones have failures too. I mean, I still have, it's not like every single thing I write is, is, you know, the greatest copy ever. I, I try for it to be. Um, but you know, there's a couple of things in the last year that have like kind of been duds or, uh, you know, I mean, my, my duds are, are not like complete bombs just because of my level of experience and using RMBC and all that kind of stuff, but they're not like home runs either. Um, so that's one thing I would, I would look at. Uh, and then, yeah, I think like I just, um, but I have, you know, the other thing I have with imposter syndrome and when I deal with that is I just sort of try to like embrace it as much as I can. Cause usually you get imposter syndrome cause you're doing something new or different or you're stepping mm-hmm. out of your comfort zone a lot. Yeah. And so if I think of it that way, I kind of think, man, like, uh, this is really like cool and like, it's okay. It's cool. It's okay. I give myself permission to feel nervous or afraid or whatever. And I'm like, that's cool that I'm feeling this way because it means that I'm doing something big or different or really stepping out of my, yeah, again, my, my comfort zone. So and you embrace the discomfort basically. Yeah. I just kind of embrace it. And, and I do think about like, what's the worst that's going to happen. Right. Well, like, I don't know if you ever do that. Um, but like, say, say that like the copy I write bombs, what, what's going to happen? Well, they're not going to hire me again. Okay. Well, what happens if they don't hire me again? Well, I'll feel bad because I had a good opportunity. They're like, yeah, like, all right, well, what's gonna happen after that? Eh, nothing really. Like, it's not like if you write something that doesn't do well, you know, clients are expecting that to happen, frankly. Um, you know, they, they don't really, they're, they're hopeful and, and they get excited to test things, but they're, um, you know, they may be like, some of the bad clients might kind of be like mad at you that's not converting, but it's just like, there, it doesn't mean you won't get more clients in the future. And if you can, you know, it, it's really just a reality. And think about if you were a, I'm, you know, as a, as a dude, I'm going to use a sports analogy, but it's like, you know, if, if Michael Jordan missing a bunch of game winning shots, but no one talks about those ones, right. They talk about the ones that, you know, he made, um, and you know, Tiger Woods missing a really important putt or, you know, even like the best and the real at what they do in any niche or area, like there's like nobody who bats a thousand or, or, you know, who goes like 10 for 10, uh, even the best out of the best are going to like miss, miss sometimes. And so, you know, is, is, if they're, if they're going to not hit a home run every time, you know, is it okay for you to not hit a home run every time? You know? So I guess it's, if I understand what you're saying, it's kind of like you step back and kind of look at it objectively and it's kind of like, Oh, it's not going to be the end of the world. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really like, what, like, what is the actual worst case scenario, right? Because again, in your head, you're like, 
well, if this doesn't go well, they're not going to hire me again. And you get like, really nervous about it. But then it's like, all right, well, what happens if they don't hire you again? And it's like, well, uh, there'll, there'll be other opportunities, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and when you think about it that way, you're like, okay, well, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Um, okay. It's not like they're going to be like, oh my God, you're a, you're a fraud. Like what, what, what we're afraid of, of imposter syndrome is being called out for some deficiency we think we have. Like we're afraid that they're going to be like, you know, Girlene, you're a, you're a fraud and a phony. You have no business writing. You're a terrible person. Your parents never loved you. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go post everywhere that nobody should work with you, right? All this kind of stuff. Um, and it's like, not, right? no, but, my parents don't love me, but like the no, whole no. syndrome thing. <laughs> no, totally. But like, that's not what actually happens. When was the last time you saw somebody like posting on Facebook? I hired this writer and it didn't go well and they're a piece of shit and don't ever work. You know, nobody, like, nobody does that. Like, you know? <laughs> Um, so that's where I think, yeah, if I think about what the actual, not like what my, what my nightmare in my head, worst case scenario is, but like what the actual worst case scenario is. And I realize that it's really not that bad. Um, that kind of takes some of the pressure off of you as well. Okay. Um, kind of, I guess like a part two for this question would be, when did it go away from you? Did it come from like when you started making a lot of money for, from it or more like just kind of gaining confidence? Like, oh, actually do know what I'm doing. Yeah, I think for copywriting specifically, they kind of two go hand in hand. I mean, there is a confidence that comes from making money and, and making other people money and seeing consistent results. Um, so that helped a lot. But you know, honestly, and I talked about this on the, um, the offer call that Justin Goff and I did that you were on um, whenever oh, that was, two days ago. Yeah. Um, like I had a period in 20, in 2018, right, right before I started Copy Accelerator where I kind of lost my confidence a little bit because I'd had, even though I'd had this great track record and sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of things at that time, um, I, I talked about it on the call, but for people who, that, that call, but for people who weren't there, uh, I, I, Facebook got really difficult to be able to run, you know, your anything direct response on it. It was after Cambridge Analytica and they really tightened up and, um, and so I was trying to write this Facebook compliant copy that was pretty bad copy. It was like bland and boring. And I honestly feel like I was kind of going through the motions on it as well. Yeah. My shitty Bob Dylan period is what I mentioned. Um, <laughs> and, and it's true. Right. And, and so, and so then I was writing stuff and I wasn't doing that good. And then, and plus I had promised people that I, I would get them traffic because mm-hmm. like that was my model, which was a super stupid model by the way. <laughs> cause like if you write something and give it to the client and then, you know, if it's good, they'll get, they'll figure it out. They get traffic. And if they don't get traffic, that's their problem. When you promise to get them traffic to their offer, then like, even if you write something good, if you can't fulfill on that promise, they're still mad at you. So like you just created a second thing for the client to be pissed off about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, and I was struggling to figure out what to do, I kind of felt like I started losing my confidence a little, even, even then. So I don't know if it ever goes away, but, but the way I looked at it when that happened was, you know, to kind of push through it and to be like, look, if I keep, if I go back to, honestly, it was like, go back to the fundamentals. Like I have a framework that I know works in RMBC. So I went back to that and to like kind of keep kind of grinding and, 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 and kind of, you know, not just not give up essentially. And then all I needed was like one good win to feel like I was back. So it was a momentum aspect. Right. So then I wrote something for, um, I forget who the, well, I wrote like a blood sugar thing that started doing really well on Facebook. And I was like, Oh, like, awesome. And then I wrote for V shred and wrote burn for them. And then 
awesome. That did well. And then suddenly I realized that I could write, you know, good long form copy that told stories that was emotionally compelling and do all of these things that I'd historically always done. And for the right companies who knew what they were doing, that they would just, they could figure out how to get it on Facebook and run traffic. I didn't have to, to, to completely castrate my copy uh, mm -hmm. in order to do that. And so I was able to work through that. And, and that was the last time I had a, a crisis in confidence. But I mean, that was like two years ago. So it wasn't that long ago, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. No, I hope that helps. I know it was a little all over the place, but I mean, you know, <laughs> no, trying to. It was good insight. Okay. Awesome. So, all right, we're two minutes over. So, I mean, I, I do really, of course I want to keep going, but I guess it's good to leave everyone wanting more here. Um, I just want to say, so we're going to wrap up in a second, but I want to thank everybody who, who joined me live here today. Uh, really appreciate it. I appreciate all the questions. If we didn't get to your question, you know, come back next week and we will then, and I'm, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to get to it here. Uh, I want to give a huge thank you to Ed as well. Ed, thank you so much for helping to moderate and uh, being a part of uh, this conversation too, Ed. It's my pleasure, dude. Thank you for having me. Happy to help. Cool. Awesome. And then for people who are going to listen to the you know, recording of the show or watch on YouTube, if you want to interact with me more, uh, the best thing to do is get on my email list, which you can do by going to stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. Do that. Get on my email list. I send emails every single day, uh, which are value-driven emails. And from that email list, you can also get links to register for future calls. So if you want to attend and ask your questions live, you can do that. So with that, we'll sign off. This was the Road to a Billion radio show with Stefan Georgi and my wonderful host, Ed Ray, co-host or whatever. And um, thank you again, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. That's just about it for today. Before we finish though, let me share a little bit more about how you can stay in touch with me. I have a private email list where I share high level tricks, strategies, and insights about copywriting, entrepreneurship, mindset, and more. In fact, often my podcasts are based on topics I first emailed out to my list weeks or even months earlier. So if you want to get brand new stuff from me every single day, go to stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. These emails are often upwards of a thousand words and I send them every day so make sure you really can commit to engaging with me on that level. But as long as you can, and you should, because I do drop a ton of value in these emails, go apply to join my list today. And again, the web address is stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. And in case you don't know how to spell my name, which is okay, it is S-T-E-F-A-N, Paul, and then my last name is georgi, G-E-O-R-G-I.com. So stephanpaulgeorgi dot com forward slash subscribe and I will see you in my email list.